We are beginning a new series today called Milk and Honey. Remember how God promised Israel that he would take them to a land of milk and honey. Milk and honey was an ancient term for a place of abundance, a place of fulfillment, a place where your needs were met, a place of safety, a land where where every good thing could exist. And so Israel was longing for that. But, but the metaphor that runs through the Bible is that, that God is taking all of his people into a promised land. That he is bringing you as an individual into a place of abundance, freedom, fruitfulness, safety, goodness. And he is bringing his people as a community into such a place. And so we are going to be talking about that. The, the, the point of this is how do I possess the promises that God has given me? How do I as an individual and us as a community live out the victory that Christ has for us? How do, how do we actually rebuild our lives, rebuild our nation in a way that his glory and his presence rests on it and that, and that the, the promises of God are seen? So that's what the series is about. So Lord, I want to pray. <clears throat> And that as we, as we talk through these important issues, Lord God, every, every person here wants to be alive in Christ, wants to be filled with more of your presence, wants to know your ways more, wants the goodness of God manifested in the environment in greater measure. So Lord God, I'm asking that as we, as we share, as I share, Lord God, that, that you would come and do a new work in all of us, Lord God, that, that we would really manifest in our environments, the goodness of God, that people would look at us in awe at the goodness of God. Thank you, Father. Amen and amen. Amen. So, I'm not so afraid about not fulfilling my duty my dreams. That's, that's not the greatest fear I have in life, that I won't fulfill my dreams or I won't meet my ambitions. My, my greatest fear is this, that when I do reach the fulfillment of my dreams, I will discover that they don't do for me what I expected. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid of spending my entire life climbing a mountain, getting to the top and discovering it's the wrong mountain. Yeah. You know what? I want God, if I am on the wrong track, I want God to show me now. Because I'm putting a lot of effort into making this work. How about you? So, so if I'm on the wrong track, if I'm believing the wrong things, if I'm going in the wrong direction, I want God to tell me. And, and I don't even care if he does something crazy to turn me. Because I'd rather that than get to the end of my life and realize I'm on the wrong mountain. So Israel... Israel is in Egypt. We, we spent a lot of time on the book of Exodus uh, a while back. But Israel is in, is in Egypt in, in slavery. And God promises that he will take them to the land of milk and honey. He will take them to a place that will be entirely theirs and they will possess the promises there. Yes. But you see, Israel had a problem. Israel had a comfort idol. Israel's greatest, when they heard God is going to rescue us and take us to a land of milk and honey, remember they, they immersed for 400 years in Egyptian culture. When they heard God is going to rescue us and God is going to bless us, it is likely that they thought something like this, oh my word, he's going to make us like the pharaohs. Mm-hmm. 
We are going to be brought to a place where we lie on those Egyptian chaise longs with a slave behind waving those, those feathers. Food is brought to me whenever I need it. And build, the slaves are building buildings in the distance on my behalf. You know what the problem is? If they had continued to pursue that dream and had fulfilled that, eventually lying on that chaise long just gets boring. Uh-huh. Slaves are continuously revolting because they don't want to be slaves. The food they're bringing you gets boring. And here's the thing, the buildings that they're building for you are pyramids, which are tombs. You only get to enjoy them when you're dead. So finally you realize this dream is not what it was made out to be. But, but nonetheless, as God is bringing Israel out of Egypt, complaining all the way, yeah. you know, the thing they complained that, that is so memorable to me is that they, they wanted to go back to Egypt for the leeks and the onions. Do you remember that? I'm just like, how, how long does it take for leeks and onions to get boring? Yeah, yeah, about one day. So you see, they they were climbing this mountain of comfortableness. They wanted to be comfortable. And as God is bringing them out, and, and he's got something so much more for them, the reason I know they were climbing the mountain of comfortableness is because they kept on complaining every time anything was difficult. He brings them out of Egypt complaining all the way. He brings them through the Red Sea, complaining all the way. He brings them to Mount Sinai, complaining all the way. He brings them to Mount Sinai where he gives them the Ten Commandments, complaining all the way. He takes them to the Promised Land, complaining all the way. And we pick up the story where they are on the edge of the Promised Land, looking at, at the wonder and the glory of what God is going to give them somewhat shaken by the journey that they've been in. They choose 12 men, 12 chiefs of the tribes of Israel, and they send them into the land to spy it out, to go and see what is there and and what God actually has for them. God didn't actually ask them to go and spy it out. They said, please, can we? And he said, yes, go ahead. They, They send these 12... those online welcome back good to see you we are reading numbers 13 from verse 21 we at verse 29 already the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev the Hittites the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are, all, we are well able to overcome it. Then the men had gone, who had gone with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are 
of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, the giants again, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. What stands out for you in this passage, besides those many names that there will be a test afterwards to see if you can remember that? Were you concentrating? <laughs> so we read this portion of scripture, and for me, what stands out immediately is that this promised land, this beautiful place, I don't really see the milk and honey. They meant it was a place of abundance, but you don't really hear about milk flowing through the streets and honey dripping from the rafters. But what does stand out for me are the giants and the grapes. I mean, those grapes. It took two people to carry it on a stick. I mean, where do you get a bunch of grapes? I was in Cape Town recently. I mean, I saw grapes, but nothing like that. I mean, it took two people to carry that bunch of grapes. Two people. My gosh, how much do you pay for a bunch of grapes like that? <laughs> the thing that stands out for me are the giants and the grapes. You see, every promised land that God is taking to you, you into, any, every promise that he is so delicious, that are so fantastic, that you're thinking, oh my word, could God be this good? And what is really important is when we look forward to what God is doing, it's important for us to recognize that God is going to do above and beyond anything you can ask or think. That God is that good. It's important to have at a foundation of your understanding of who God is and where you are going and, and what, what is in your future, that God will be good. That there are grapes in your future so large that they will blow your mind. There are, there are good things in your future that are so incredible. Your mind has not even begun to comprehend them. It's so important that you lay that as a foundation. Because when the hard times come, you're going to need something to remind you. That it's worth pushing forward. Because they were not just grapes in that promised land. They were also giants. Yeah. And you see, anywhere that God is taking you, there will be grapes and there will be giants. This is true. The reason it's so important to understand this is that if you are climbing a comfortableness mountain, if your goal in life is to be comfortable, if your goal in life is to be popular, if your goal in life is to be safe, if your goal in life is all these things, when you see the giants, you'll run the other way. Yeah. You will do what those 10 spies did. Yeah. And even the grapes won't be enough to call you forward. And see, as you, are, as you are stepping into what God has for you, it's so important to remember, there will be giants. Yeah. And the thing about a giant is that they cannot be defeated by you. That giants require the grace of God and a miracle from heaven to come down. But here is the beautiful thing. As Caleb went in, he was so sure that God would do it. And I pray we would be of that Caleb mindset. Yeah. There will be giants. God calls you to start a business. There will be lean days. There will be moments when the odds seem impossible. There will be giants. But God will overcome those giants. As you start a family, there will be moments when you wonder why are there, is there so much opposition? Why is there so much conflict? Why is there so much difficulty? Because there are all giants in every promised land. Yeah. 
You got your dream job. And your boss turns out... Be a giant. <laughs> I, I had other words in my mind, and I was thinking, can I say them in church? That was my pause. But yes, that's much better. Your, your, your boss turns out to be a giant. He's grumpy. He's impossible to please. Yeah, Andrew's saying, oh, she. But here's the thing, every promised land has some giants and we cannot turn back, we cannot get faint hearted, we cannot allow our courage to fail. We cannot allow our courage to fail. I want, I want to look at something so important in the scripture, the last, the last verse I read for you goes like this. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. You see, those ten spies that looked at that promised land and saw those giants, they allowed those giants to define them in some way. And as a result, they were unable to take a step forward. So when we're going into our promised land and we are expectant of those grapes, do not ever let that go because we have to be expectant of the goodness of God. But at the same time, we will see those grapes and we, I mean those giants, and we cannot allow those giants to tell us that there's something wrong with us or that God will fail or that we will not be able to move forward or this won't work out. We cannot allow those lies to impact the way we respond to the situation. So I want to look at the six lies of the ten spies. Can I say that again? Because it's beautifully put together. Six lies of ten spies. Okay, will you all just help me? I worked on that. I worked on that. The six lies of the ten spies. So as they are going through this land and they see those sons of Anak, they were probably about three meters tall. So it's not like, like a Jack and the Beanstalk giant, but just very, very large people. They allowed those giants to speak to them. These giants are bigger than me. That's true. You are, they started with a true premise. Those lies, those giants are bigger than me. But they went a little further. In their minds, the giants owned the land. But you see, this is faulty. The giants are not in charge. God, require, God insists that the world is his. God insists that he's in charge. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You see, the giants, the problems do not own the environment. God owns your environment. These giants, they, therefore they're thinking, of course these giants are going to overcome me. My friends, in the natural, as I said, yes, that would be true. But we are not alone. Has God said, this is your land? Yeah. If so, everything must bow to that reality. Right. Clearly, they thought that they could only depend on themselves. 
Clearly they thought it was up to them. My friends, your future is not up to you. It's up to you. It's up to your obedience and it's up to your willingness to submit to God. But it's not up to your skills and abilities. God will use those incredibly, but ultimately God's plans are God's plans and he will do what he will do. And our job is to submit to those plans and our job is to bring all of our gifts and our callings and our graces to submission to that and to do what he says. And then clearly they went on to this premise, no, sorry, back one. I won't try because I'm sure to fail. How many times do you think that? How many times does this thinking of those spies get into our own hearts? There's no way that I can succeed or, succeed or I'm afraid that I will fail, so I'm not going to even try. And then clearly it, it defined to them who they were. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. What they were saying is we will never amount to anything. And my friends, this is, we can look at this and say those poor spies. But the truth is so many of us think like that, or at least partially like that, or at least in part of some areas of our life. Mm-hmm. And here's the very sad thing. This thinking disqualified them from their inheritance. Because as they came back and gave this report, God, God was so angry, he, he wanted to just wipe them out. Yeah. Moses interceded, they interceded, and he compromised, and he said, okay, I won't, I'll let you live out your life, but you'll have to go back into the wilderness and do it. And I will only allow the next generation into the promised land. And my friends, I don't know about you, but I want to be the generation that does it. I want to be the generation that actually stands on my inheritance, stands in the place that God has called me to, does the things God has said. And I want to hand to the next generation even greater exploits. I don't want them to have to redo my promises. So it disqualified them from God's plan. But there was one man, there were actually two men, Caleb and Joshua, who spoke well of the land and well of the possibilities. This portion of scripture only really talks about Caleb, so I'm going to use Caleb, but Joshua was right there with him. So let's look at Caleb. Caleb confessions. What, what, What was Caleb thinking? What was Caleb thinking? He saw those giants, but he didn't think of those giants as bigger than him. He thought, oh, my word, God is so much bigger than those giants. He thought, this is God's world. This is God's promise. This is God's land that he's giving to us. He thought giants fall before God. He thought, I'm in covenant with God. Guys, We're in covenant with the living God. His name, his name is written over our lives. What does that mean? His reputation, he staked his reputation to your success. We're in covenant with the living God. What does that mean? It means if we follow in him and obey him, he's going to do something profound. And therefore, I am a giant slayer. You see, Caleb had in his heart, my word, all I have to do is show up. 
and these giants will fall. I like to contrast those two views between the ten spies and Caleb as the grasshopper view and the God view. And you see, there's, there's a way in which all of us have grasshopper views of ourselves in the world at times. And this is not meant to condemn you or make you feel embarrassed, but it's true. There are times we all see ourselves as grasshoppers and, and then that tends to invade our worlds and people look at us and see us as grasshoppers also. Because we project grasshopper images. But you see, there's a place where God wants to take us from that grasshopper view to the God view permanently, where all of our lives are wholeheartedly in the plan of God for us, where we are absolutely committed to what God is doing through us and in us and as a community, where we put all our, all our eggs in the basket. We are within. We are here. We are at it. We are with God. How do we move from that grasshopper view to the God view? It's a concept the Bible lays out time and time again from beginning to end. And it's the concept of repentance. You know, for many of us, repentance seems like a tough thing. It's like, oh my gosh, why, um, God, it's like a humiliating thing. Like I have to admit that I'm wrong publicly and then... and. And, you know, just be humiliated by that. But that's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about repentance. Repentance is the greatest liberation ever. Repentance is that thing that allows you to get God's promises for your life. You see, what, what repentance is, there's, a, there's an Old Testament word for it, which is shub. Can you all say shub? An Old Testament word for repentance, which is shub, which means literally you're going in this direction and you turn around and you go in the opposite direction. It means to turn back to the things of God. There's a New Testament word, metanoeo, and it's slightly differently, different and it literally means to change the way you think, to think differently. And you see, there's a way in which God is calling us to lift up our eyes from the giants and from our own inabilities yeah. to the, the awesome majesty of his bigness and his ability. And as we, as we turn from that thinking to this other thinking, we get our promised land. We move into things of God. Those grapes become ours. The giants fall. The, the beautiful thing about Caleb is that interestingly, Israel from this point, standing on the promised land, had to go back into the wilderness for 40 years. That entire generation died out, except for jo um, Joshua and Caleb. They came back. Joshua, for the second time, they were on the border of the, of the promised land. Joshua led them into the promised land. And when they were in the promised land, Caleb goes to Joshua. He is now 85 years old. Do you know any 85-year-old people? Sure. I know some close to 85, and they would not do this. Caleb stood before Joshua, and he said, give me Hebron. That's the place where the giants are. He said, give me the land of the giants. At 85, he went into that area, and he slayed every single one of them. 
because he knew that God is able. And he said, this is my inheritance. This is what God has given us as a nation. I will stand on the promises of God and it will come to pass. Who do you want to be? I want to be be of the Caleb generation. I want to be that every day. I don't want to wait till I'm 85. I want to be that kind of person that stands on the promises of God and says, this belongs. This doesn't even belong to me. This belongs to the living God. Do you remember when... When King David, who he wasn't king yet, but later on in 1 Samuel, you hear about some giants that were left, and David slayed Goliath, that, that giant, one of the giants that were left over, that maybe um, Caleb hadn't come across. So da- David is standing in, in front of this, this giant, and he, he had been offered... He had been offered the king's daughter, and, and there were many perks of killing this giant. But the thing he stood in front of me, and he said, how can this giant defy the armies of the living God? Can you see the same attitude that he's talking with as Caleb had? It's like, this is God's land. He has given it to us, and nothing is allowed to stand up against the purposes of God. Who is this uncircumcised uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? And what I love about that story of David is that the Bible says he refused the armor of Saul, the king, because it was too big, didn't fit him. Interestingly enough, when he had killed Goliath, he took Goliath's armor, which definitely was too big for him. But nonetheless, that's a a whole nother thing to think about. But anyway, he stands in front of Goliath and he uses the slingshot that he's been protecting the sheep with. Just, it's his everyday ordinary skills. And he puts a stone in that slingshot and he throws it at Goliath. And the Bible says the stone hits Goliath in the head and sinks into his skull. Now, I don't know how hard or fast a stone has to be moving to sink into someone's skull. And I would propose to you David didn't throw it that hard. Because afterwards it says that Goliath fell face forward on the ground. Now, I don't know if you do any physics. But you don't have to do physics to understand this. If a missile is coming at you and it hits you, which way do you fall? In the, in the direction of the missile. There is no way that Goliath should have fallen forward. I have this picture in my mind. The Bible doesn't say it, but I'm going with it. I see David throwing that stone and I see the hand of God behind that stone. Propelling it at speeds that David could never muster up. Then I see the other hand of God behind the head of Goliath. And I see him bringing his hands together in one almighty clap. I know, it's probably right. When we get to heaven, we'll see the replays. It'll be there. But you see, this is who God is. And my friends, many of you are facing giants. I mean, this, this is the season where giants have just risen up all over the place. But here's the thing about giants, is that if Israel needed to slay some giants in order to have the capacity to carry those grapes. Yeah. If you don't slay your giants, you don't build what the faith and the trust in God necessary to work with the blessings that are coming. Yeah. Amen.